Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Notice it says first. Say with me first. And all these things will be given to you. If you read that chapter, it's talking about food. It's talking about roof over your head. Uh, talking about everything else that, you, that we look for in life. The first thing to God in order of importance is that we seek him, and then he blesses us with the lesser. For us, the most important thing many times is home and finance, food. We think that's more important. But to God, it's more important that we have his, the relationship with him first, and then he gives this to us as an addition. And then he says, because he knows we have need of it. But the most important thing to God is relationship. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And even during that time, Jesus was saying, listen, don't worry. Don't give yourself to worry, because worry has issues connected with it. It has baggage connected with it. And he's saying, don't get into that spirit of worry or that mentality of worry, because worry is a loop. I don't know if you notice that. It, it just keeps on bringing the same negativity over and over to you. And Jesus was saying, don't get into that mindset. Don't get into that track, because once you get into a spirit of worry, then behind it, the buddies come. What are the buddies? Fear, anger, uh, disillusion, and a whole other flock of lesser evils come with that. So he says, don't do it. He commands us, don't worry. In the Old Testament, he would tell his leaders, he would say, do not fear. In the original language is, having already begun to fear, stop right now. Don't let that loop come into your mind. Don't worry. Trust me. I will see you through this process. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Holy Father, that you would minister to us out of your word. We understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing your word. So we give you the glory. We thank you that our faith is increased today. Thank you for the privilege that you give us to be able to come together in fellowship, my God, and to hear your word. So I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding, open up our hearing, our spirit man, so that we might be able to understand what you're saying to us versus what we hear all week long. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. So the last couple of weeks... Um, I was sharing with you some of the priority principles that we need to experience in our life, that we need to practice, uh, not just know them, but practice them. Because there's a difference between a hearer and a doer. According to the book of James, chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you read that on your own, you'll notice that God prizes and treasures the doer. Because most people hear the word and they listen to it, but then they leave and forget. But a doer hears the word, applies it to their life, practices it, practices it and that gives glory to God. Amen. If your boss tells you, I need you tomorrow at 8 o'clock, and you normally come at 9, and in the next day you show up at 9, what did you just do to your boss? If he tells you he needs you at 8, you come every week at 9, but tomorrow I need you at 8, and you show up at 9, what does that mean to your boss? Huh? You're irresponsible. What else? You disobeyed. What else? Huh? Not paying attention. So it's kind of a dishonor. Right? Yeah. And this is what happens with the hearer. When God tells 
us something. He's telling it for our benefit. And when we don't listen, well, you, I heard it, but, you know, one of these days. What we're doing is we're dishonoring his word. And what we don't realize, that he doesn't give us his word because he has an ego. He gives us his word because he loves us. Amen. And it's for our benefit. So when we don't listen, what, how does he respond? He goes, ay, mis hijitos, ustedes no entienden. Oh, my children, you just don't understand. I want to keep you away from stuff. Or I want to bring you to some stuff that is going to, be, that's going to benefit you. And when we refuse to hear God, it's on, it's on us. We can't complain later on. So the Bible says that we need to seek first his kingdom. Now, when we talk about kingdom, it denotes that there's a king. It denotes that there's citizenry. It denotes that there are rules and regulations and laws. We do function in a kingdom, the kingdom of God. So when we understand the kingdom of God, we'll operate correctly, effectively in it, and we will prosper. When we don't care, we don't listen. Uh, how many of you uh, have gotten a ticket any time in your life? Raise your hand. Sometimes I've received a ticket because I didn't know that there was a law in place. Most of the time, I've received a ticket, not because I didn't know, but I chose to disobey. I chose to take a chance. I'm just going to park here just one second. got to run into the store and come right back out. When I come out, where were you? I looked, 360. You weren't around. I believe they have stealth technology. They're standing there all the time, but they just press a button and they disappear. They have ways to be able to hide. But the truth of the matter is we, cho- we choose to disobey the law. So what happens? We pay. You know, we have punitive measures instituted against us because we chose to disobey. But the Bible says if we seek first his kingdom, all these things will be given back to us or given to us. Praise God. In Revelation chapter 2, I shared this with you uh, two weeks ago. It says, Jesus said, I love you, I love what you're doing, but I'm holding this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember from the height of which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did first. You see, so God is looking for that first. He always does. If you look throughout scripture, you see how God always demanded something first. It was something he held back to himself. Uh, Adam and Eve, he said, you can have anything in the garden, right? 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 He said, you can have anything you want in the garden, right? Huh? Except, there you go. Any but one thing I withhold to myself. That tree, you don't touch it. That's my tree. Right? What did Adam and Eve do? They go ahead and touch the tree. That's what we as human beings do. You know, we, we don't listen. Don't touch that iron. You're going to get burned. Ah! Huh? So it is. That's what we do. It's, it's unfortunate. And then we have, we have to pay a price. When Jericho was taken, God said, the land belongs to you, but give me Jericho. What was Jericho? The first city that they were stopping in. He always sought that first thing. And somebody did what? They touched Jericho. And they had to pay a huge penalty. And you see throughout scripture, God has always demanded first. Not because he's an egotistical God. He's looking for hearts. Because the bottom line, the Bible says he's the owner of everything. He really doesn't need you to give him anything. He owns it all. He's just seeing how you're going to operate with him. Why? Because he is into relationship. And you know relationships are very precious. You know, if, if you're going to be in my life, I want you to be faithful to me. Right? 
Really, that's, all, that's what I want. That's, that's the most, we can work through stuff, but I want you faithful. Anybody here? Any, any lady here? You know, what, what? Anybody agree with me? Or, you know, we're all right. You're just, you know, having every, you know, come on. I've been married 38 years, and my wife has been faithful. And I treasure that. I treasure that. Yeah. And she demands the same thing, same for me. That's right. Uh, you know, I will see shorter days on this earth if I am not faithful. <laughs> I just, just this morning, I was hearing in the news, there was this lady, she got upset because some relational issue with her husband. So she, she like sort of burned his clothing. And, and the problem is that she burned too much of the clothing and the side of the house burned. <laughs> so now she, she was arrested, you know. I mean, some of you ladies, man, you could get some really, really angry. Yeah, literally, so she's in prison right now. I think they let her go, uh, uh, but she's going to have to go back and answer to that. But yeah, we want faithfulness. Well, guess what? God demands the same thing. He's faithful to us. And even when we're unfaithful, he still remains faithful because that's who he is. He's faithful. We, we, we read Ezekiel 44, the best of all first fruits of any kind and every sacrifice of any kind also, your sacrifice shall be the priests. In other words, you bring it to the temple. You bring it to the church. And you shall give it to the priest, the first of all your ground meal, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. See, notice, God was demanding a first fruit, something that was the best of these people. He said, because he wanted to get a blessing over to their house. So that's what people don't understand. When we put God first, it releases a blessing to rest on our house. See, you can't have God as an add-on. You can't have, God doesn't shack up with anybody. He only, he only marries. And this is what we need to understand about God. But if we do marry him, in other words, if we put him first in the throne room of our hearts, then what will happen is then he gets his stuff, the addition, the house, the, the, the food, you know, the relationships, uh, the prosperity. All of that is an add-on. It's, it's like a one-on-one to God. It's not a priority to God. With God, it's relationship. Wow. And yet, this generation, for all our technology, we don't have much relationship. How many times have I gone to a restaurant with my wife? I'm looking around. I mean, all the kids, they're on the, the phone. The parents are on the phone. And they barely talk to each other anymore. Right now, there are people becoming millionaires to create technology to stop the technology so that people could sit down and eat. Yeah, in a, in a pepper shaker... There is a technology right now that if you turn it, flip it like that, it, it, it turns off all of the local, uh, I guess, internet and modems or the signal. And so what happens is people, what's going on? I, I can't make it. Come on, sit down and eat. Isn't that anything? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they're creating technology to get people back to the basic of relationship when the technology is supposed to help people become friends. Friend, uh, uh, friend what is it? Facebook? Friends? Social media? Isn't it supposed to make you social? It's making us anti-social. Right now, their kids, they know every single virtual character in every single dimension of the game. But yet, they don't have any friends in school. And they're not even comfortable with humans anymore. They're more comfortable in the box. I'm not getting any amens now. Maybe some of you know some of those characters better than I do. The only one I remember is Mario. 
So you can tell I've been out of that one for a while. <laughs> Mario and Atari. That, wow. Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, Pac-Man and me, we were like this. <laughs> In Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with all of your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Then your barns. Notice, when you honor God with the first First of your heart, first of your mind, with all of your heart, your mind, your soul. Love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul. Look what he does. He blesses your barns. They'll be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the principles that we spoke about last couple of weeks is loving God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Then we spoke about loving, or rather giving God our best, not as an afterthought. Then we talked about, I think it was the week before last, we spoke about forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's important because if you don't forgive those who trespass against you, God cannot forgive you your trespasses. You have to hear that message. If you weren't here that week, go to our website and you could actually listen to that message in your home. We're, we're, we're even on, on, what do you call that again? Uh, tunes, iTunes? We're on iTunes. You can actually look up Calvary Christian Fellowship, and you can see us there. You know, I, I thank uh, the team, the, the AV team, and then, uh, Brother Julio, all that team. There. Thank you so much, team. So our messages are there in case you want to hear them. And um, pray for love offering, a nine, a nine, a nine. Oh, yeah, I'm just joking, just joking. It's free. Whoever wants to hear it, it's free. <laughs> it is absolutely free. And so... I mean, it's not free. It costs us because we pay for the website, but it's free for you. But we want our family to be able to hear these messages anytime they need to. So today's priority, I want to talk a couple of minutes about getting connected to life. That's another very important. It's not, a, it's not just having life. It's getting connected to life. Because if you look throughout life in itself, when you're going to do something of substance, something that, 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 uh, that has import, building a bridge or doing a road. It's not one person that does it. It's always a group of people connected together that releases a strength and a power that one individual doesn't have. If you uh, look, uh, no astronaut is sent in space without support. There's always support. Support uh, not only in the vehicle that he's uh, in, but also support from NASA. He always has somebody with him. See, so there is life in ministry. There is life in relationship. In all relationship, there is life. I mean, of course, if the relationship is off, if there's something wrong in the relationship. But in a healthy relationship, there is life. Deep sea divers, do they go alone? No, they always have somebody a topside, making sure that they get the air that they need, making sure that everything's healthy, the pressures are adequate. Um, and, you know, whatever they need, topside will help them. Uh, what about a brain surgeon? Does a brain surgeon operate on his own? He has a team. He has a team. No soldier is sent to battle alone. He always has a team of guys. And God never intends us to go through life on our own either. So we need the body. See, like right now, I'm not the whole body. I might just be a finger. I might be a toe. I might be a toenail. I don't care. I'm, fun- I'm functioning in the body. And I have some importance in the body. Amen. Right? What do you want to be if you're part of the body? What would you prefer to be? A heart, wow, that's, that's, that's an important part. Without the heart, you, you just don't live. Actually, you could live without a heart today. Because you, 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 could, you could get a fake heart, 
uh, they could put you on a machine and you could function. But it's very important. You, know, you won't have a good quality of life without a heart. And you can't be a head, so don't think about being the head. Because only Christ is the head. Alright, so don't, 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 don't go there. That's, that doesn't belong to us. Alright, so what would you like to be? A lung, a lung is very important. Without lung, you don't get oxygen. You want a hand. Oh, man, let me tell you, a hand, a hand is, is, is what goes first. It's, it's what gets the rest of the stuff. For. I mean, I can't eat unless my hand is in operation. Right? Because, you know, hand. See, see what I'm saying? See, see, see the symbiotic relationship? If I don't do this, this doesn't get satisfied. And if this doesn't get satisfied, the hand doesn't get strength. See, so it's a symbiotic thing. So the, the important thing is I know that I'm important. I might not be a let me say I'm a pinky of the toe. I'm not like the pinky toe. But I remember one time, one of my friends called me. Victor, I need you right away. Emergency. I'm hurt. I got to go to the hospital. I said, oh, my God. So I ran to the house right away. Good friend of mine. When I got there, his family's laughing. They're all laughing. And he's in pain. He's writhing in pain. He has his foot like this. And his little toe, the little one is like this. What happened was they were, pe- they were playing. It was Christmas time. And around the tree, they had a lot of boxes. So he runs after one of the kids. And he goes... And he hits the little toe on one of the boxes. So the little toe got dislocated. It, went, it broke. But it was so funny because the toe was like this. And you could tell the little toe had an attitude. It was all red. And it was looking at everybody. It was going. It was so angry you know, at everybody. And meanwhile, the wife and the kids are laughing. And my man's in pain. And you know, he was a military guy. And he boasted on his military, I mean, uh, the expeditions he did and all that other stuff. And I came over, I looked, I went, really, dude? (laughs) I mean, I started laughing. We take him to the hospital, which, by the way, where he worked, he worked in security, so they all knew him. So they wheel him in, and all his friends are going, and they're going, (laughs) and they're laughing. And then the doctor looks at him and goes, you know, I'm going to have to reset this, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, but just be careful. So, so, so when I count to three, click. <laughs> so, go, ah, you know. so they reset the thing and put a little tape and everything was okay. I'm, I'm saying is because no matter how small the thing was, it's amazing. It disoriented him completely. He couldn't function. He couldn't, he had no joy. His family was, was, Laughing at him, his co-workers laughing at him, all because of his little toe. His little toe, that moment, was the boss. See, so there is no important person and unimportant in the kingdom. We're all important. Say to your neighbor, you're very important. Doesn't make a difference how big you are. It doesn't make a difference how small you are. In God's eyes, you are vital. And if you think you're not important, you're just real small, well, guess what? Anybody here ever received a cold? You know how that happened? You receive a little microbe, maybe on your hand or a handshake, and you went like this, and, and your mucous membrane got a hold of that little thing that you can't even see, and that thing went in there and had its way. And you became disoriented and sick and coughing. And you couldn't even go to work. You couldn't even function. Because a little, little incy-bincy thing made its way into your system. So don't tell me you're not important. We're all important and we're all needed and we're all necessary. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 20, Wherever two or three gather in my name, I will be right there with them. So when we gather, there's life. 
Say with me, there's life in church, family. See, so there's some things you can't get from the TV evangelist. I appreciate the TV evangelist from time to time. Because, you know, when I'm going to work, I might put my earphones on and listen. I might go to TBN. Uh, I might go to the God channel or whatever. I, there's a whole bunch of channels where I can get, you know, some good encouragement. But that does not take the place of what we're doing now. See, this is what God created. God created church. He created the body so that together we can do the works of God. So he says, wherever two or three gather in my name, I'll be there. So that's the beauty about it. When two or three gather, he's there. So right now, Jesus is present. He's present among his body. His presence is here. His wisdom is here. His healing anointing is here. Praise God. And, And it's interesting because we're so diverse. But yet coming together under his banner, we become one body. Wow, that's amazing. In the book of Revelation, it says that in the future, um, the prophets saw nations, all different kind of nations, different tongues and tribes, worshiping God. Every once in a while, I I peruse uh, Facebook. I go down and and I see some really nice uh, uh, videos of people worshiping God in different parts of the world. And sometimes I just put it on, I listen to it, and, and I know the song, but I don't understand what they're saying. So what I do, I just sing with them. They're singing their stuff, and I'm singing my stuff. But you see them crying, you see them worshiping God, and, and I say, you see every t- tribe, tongue, and, and nation worshiping God. We're just practicing here to get it right, so that when we get up there, we perfect it, right? And what does the enemy do to divide us? He tries to get us to hate each other. He tries to get us to, to not appreciate each other. He tries to get uh, outside forces to try to speak into us to divide us. The devil is a liar. He's an absolute liar. He is, the Bible says he's the father of lies. He came to rob, to kill, to destroy. We were never supposed to look all alike. We were never supposed to all be of the same tribe. We're many tribes. See, one, one person said years ago, the 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 Big Apple is a melting pot. But a melting pot denotes that anything that goes there just becomes part of the same. It's all the same. That's not New York. New York is a salad bowl. Yeah, it's a salad bowl. You got tomatoes, you got cucumbers, you got carrots. You know, I, I don't know if you're the carrot or I'm a carrot. But we're all different stuff, and we're supposed to be that way. And, and depending what community you go to, you see a different flavor to it. And that's where you get the vinaigrette. Uh, that's where you get the Caesar. Sasson. Yeah, but, but, wow, that's on a salad, Sasson. Some people put some cheese in it. Some people put some. So, I'm getting hungry. Hold on. Let me go to another one. I'm just like liking what I'm hearing right now, and I'm seeing it in front of me. But the truth of the matter is, the church is not supposed to be a melting pot, it's supposed to be a salad bowl. We're supposed to have difference because God is creative. And, and contrary to the way the world deals, we're supposed to deal with difference in a different way. We're supposed to love each other and honor our differences. Amen. Hello? Amen. Because the truth of the matter is, I could not control where I was born. I could not control the tribe I came from, the country my parents came from. I couldn't control none of that. God is the one that set me up. So I have a purpose in my color. I have a purpose in my background, in my nationality. I have a purpose to my language. 
I have a purpose. Amen. Say to your neighbor, I have a purpose. See, you're very important. You're vital. You're needed. And that's what the enemy tries to do. It tries to take away your uniqueness and your purpose. Amen. But we, we understand by revelation. We, we don't accept that. You see, that's how come I will honor each and every one of you. And the more different you are from me, the more I honor you. Because God created you. You're, you're unique. You're special. You're vibrant. You're, you're not a, a copy. You are an original. Amen. Say to your neighbor, you are an original. So don't die a copy. Praise God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, Paul said this, I'm writing these instructions so that you know how to live in the family of God, the family that is the church. In Acts 5.42, the first church, the Bible says they would meet day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So we don't have this right yet because although we from time to time will come to the temple, we never meet from house to house anymore. We've got to get back to that. We need to honor each other to the degree that we pray for each other, not just here, but we pray for each other in our homes, in our businesses, that we we care for each other enough to make sure that everything's okay. And we also have the culture backwards in uh, in churches, local churches, because people think that the pastor is supposed to do all the visitation, the pastor is supposed to do all, all the counseling, all the praying, all the marrying, all the burying. He's supposed to drive the bus. He's supposed to do Sunday school. Yeah, he has to get them married. He has to preach every Sunday. He has to play in the worship team. I mean, he has to do everything. Who is this Superman? I don't know him because I'm not measuring up. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is we are a body. And so my hands perform a great work. But let me tell you something. If my hand tries to be a lung, it will utterly fail. Because you're not made to do everything. You're made to do a specific thing. So there are times when the body is not in action. Guess what? The body's in a deficit. So we have to understand family life, church home, family life, all of us have great responsibility. What does a local church do? Well, Acts 2, 42. Let me give you five areas. Five areas. Five areas that we need to be healthy. Number one, we study God's word together. Bible says they committed themselves to learning the teachings of the apostles. We study God's word together. And next week we're starting an incredible series. So you need to come out next Sunday and for the, the next seven to eight weeks. Because we're going to talk about transformation, full life transformation. Next week we're starting with spiritual transformation. And we're going to enter into a process where not only do you hear a message on Sunday, but we also give you daily devotionals. And then we'll also have that opportunity when we read our devotionals, we'll be able to write some stuff that God has applied to us personally. And then also I'm going to ask some of you to come up and share what God spoke to you in your devotionals throughout the week. So get ready because we're going to give you a lot of information next week. We're going to give you devotionals um, like for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the whole seven weeks. All right, so we're going to be very busy as a congregation. Amen. All right, so we study God's word. Who sees, more in a, uh, who sees more detail in an accident, one person or six people? Of course, the more people are there, the more. Same thing in the body. There are many perspectives. Yes. You have a perspective that I don't have. Right now I'm preaching, and right, right now God gave you something else. So, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why God says this. Oh, in my experience, you see, so we are, we are rich in resource, rich in ideas in the church. Second thing, we practice 
learning how to love. Because let me tell you, sometimes it's hard to love people. Some of you will get that by Wednesday. Sometimes it's hard to love people. Because many times people are selfish. Many times people don't see your point of view. I mean, you could share your point of view every day till Sunday, and they still won't get it. And meanwhile, you know it's good for them, right? Or sometimes people get angry at you for the slightest things. Have you, have you noticed that we get offended? When I'm preaching, man, don't be sneezing, right? Gesundheit. That was a healthy one. He, he, he did that with all of his heart, his body. He said, you do unto the Lord, you know? So he's doing that with all of his heart, mind, and soul, and body. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have to be very careful because if we're not careful, what happens is we learn to love and we learn by practice. And it's hard to love people because we, we, we get offended. I don't know if you realized, aren't people getting offended very easily today? People get offended by anything. I got offended. I saw that sign. I got offended because you believe in this. Get over it. But the problem is that we want to bend over as a nation so much that our back is going to break. Because the truth of the matter is we're going to get offended. So we have to learn, mature, and take things for what they are. Okay, this, I can't do anything about it, so we keep on living. Others, you have to bring change. So, but let's measure what we need to have change. We're not going to change everything. Because if you're going to change it, who are you going to change it to? Somebody else is going to offend, get offended that you changed it. So you'll always have offense. You understand my point? But the point I'm making is hard to love people. So we have to love people with the love of God. What's the love of God? Agape. You know what agape is? Loving people even when they don't deserve it. That's hard. Because sometimes, really, you don't deserve it. And sometimes, I don't deserve it. But yet, God still loves us. We go before God, He forgives us. He loves us. But in the same way, we have to love others that way. Otherwise, the love of Christ cannot manifest. Human love can never get to the level of God's love. And that's why we need fellowship. Because while we're here, it gives us strength to be able to love the unlovable. My God. My God. So your number one purpose in life is to learn how to love God and love others. You can't learn love without being around different people. That's another issue of the beauty of difference. Is by me being with different folk, I learn, I expand, I grow. I don't grow with really nice bosses. I grow with pain in the necks. I expand, I learn, I mature. I get depth of patience. Anybody here pray for patience? No. <laughs> Most people don't even pray for patience anymore because they understand the scriptures. If you want patience, God will send you into a difficult circumstance because patience is a fruit and you have to go through stuff to develop patience. Patience isn't a pill. You know, I can't, I can't hand out pills. Here's a patience pill. Here's a love pill. Here's a grace pill. Oh, it doesn't work that way. You have to go through stuff to develop patience. And it's the most difficult people that help you to develop patience. <laughs> Somebody said, yes, hallelujah. Amen. You can't love without being around different people. Practicing love is called fellowship. This is love. This is fellowship. It's love. They joined with, with other believers in 
fellowship. So when we're together, we're eating together, we're praying together, that's where love is practiced. They were like family to each other, the CEV says. In other, way, in other ways, in many ways rather, our spiritual family can be closer than our natural family. I get along with you with some of my, than, than some of my own family. Some of my own family, I'll go to the meetings, to these gatherings, and I go, oh, they're here. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. This is an opportunity for my patience to grow. This is an opportunity for me to practice agape, because God knows they don't deserve. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Many times we spend more, more time with our spiritual family, and, and we get along more with our spiritual family than with our own natural family many times. So it says they committed themselves to life together. The message Bible says this. So love isn't really a feeling. Love is a commitment. It's a choice. Because let me tell you, the honeymoon finishes real quick. For those of you that got married, you thought that it was going to be like that forever? Watching too much Hollywood. Watching too much Cinderella. The truth of the matter is marriage is hard. Relationships are difficult. And after a while, you realize love is a decision. It's a commitment. I know what I'm talking about. I'm married 38 years. It's a commitment. <laughs> oh, now listen. Uh, once you know it's a commitment, then for you it's automatic. It's, you don't discuss it anymore. That, should I? Should No, I'm committed. I said I do. I said in, in the good and the bad and the ugly. I, I said something like that. I remember. <laughs> so 38 years later, we're still practicing that. When it's, when it's good, amen. When it's bad and ugly, you know, you sort of like tie a bow around yourself and hang, hang in there, you know, for dear life. No, no, it's not that bad. But the truth of the matter, yeah, sometimes it is. Well, anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, but the truth of the matter is you're committed. So you work things out because you're committed. Problem is we go in there and we already have a back door. We're going in there, I'm going to try this thing, but it ain't working, I'm out of here. Yeah, people think it that way. That's not the way Christians do that. You don't, you don't love God that way. If this doesn't work out, if God doesn't answer my prayer in two weeks, I'm out of here. That's not the way it works. Sometimes things take time. Everything worth its weight in gold takes time. The next thing is we eat together. See, that's fellowship and includes food. They shared in fellowship meals. They broke bread together. And interestingly enough, because Jesus often taught while walking or eating. Many times he was eating and, and teaching. Some of the most mentorable moments are in the kitchen table or in the dining table, or in the living room, watching a football game and eating nachos. And, and, you know, there's some mentoring moments there. Talk about that. The Super Bowl is coming up. So that might be a nice mentorable moment right there. They ate meals, the Bible says together in their homes, eating with great joy and generosity. Wow. Praise God. So I expect some of you to be generous with me in the coming weeks and months. Number four, we pray for each other, the Bible says. They spend time praying together. There is additional power in group prayer. My private prayer is powerful. But when I come together with a body, there's a power that's released that I don't have when I'm alone. So we need group prayer together. 
So Wednesdays, we have to start filling this place more and more. We're coming here and praying every week. So we have to increase in prayer because that is the place of power. Matthew 18, 19, it says this, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree to ask for something in prayer, it will be done for you by my Father. Notice, two of you, didn't say one. There's a type of prayer called a prayer of agreement that has more power than an individual prayer. So that means I'm praying with you and I'm praying for you. So most of us just pray for each other, but we don't pray with each other. We have to break that. We have to pray for each other, but we also have to pray with each other. The fifth thing is we encourage each other and we help each other. That's so vital. The world understands that. They constantly have these conferences, these feel-good conferences. They have these uh, upbuilding conferences. Uh, uh, these, uh, they actually meet together, the salespeople and, you know, rah, rah, rah type things. I've been to many of those meetings. They're a lot of fun. They are encouraging. Human, they know that, that humans need encouragement. So that's, guess what? In the body of Christ, we encourage each other. They shared everything with each other. They helped each other when anyone in the group had a need, the Bible says. So we bring a meal from time to time. We do an errand for each other. We take people to the hospital. We visit those in the hospital. We watch their kids from time to time. Nothing better than a a volunteer babysitter from time to time when a single mother needs it. That shows love sometimes. Amen. 1 Peter 4.10. It says, God has given each of us some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, the Living Bible says. Are you using your gifts to help each other? Or are you using your gifts only to make money? Or to be famous? Or to be known? No, the Bible says use your gift to help each other. So let me give you various things for us to grow in God and ministry this year. When I say ministry, each of us have a ministry. We belong to one ministry, but each of us have a ministry. Right? So it's different. It manifests itself in different ways. First thing is make going to church and group prayers a priority. Amen. Show up every week. Don't flake out on this. This is important. Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. And that requires consistency and frequency. So it's a discipline. Make no mistake. Going to church is consistency. But it's also a responsibility, and it's a habit. But it's a habit based on revelation, based on love. And you'll notice after a while, nobody messes with your Sundays. You'll do everything all week long, but come Sunday, you're there. You're active. And then not only that, now you get active in some ministry in the church, and you're helping others, and you're giving your gift to others. You're doing what God says for you to do. Now you're being useful. Now you're not just a hearer, you're being a doer. Second thing, share my life and ministry with humility. In other words, there's no big people here. In this ministry, I'm not a superstar. I'm a pastor. That's my function, but I'm not better than you. So I share my ministry with humility. I don't think I'm big and bad. I'm not, you know, the best thing since since sliced bread. I'm just being obedient. All right? You're going to notice throughout the world, you see in every nation, there, there are some that people idolize. It should never be the case. We don't idolize people. We worship God. Now, we can respect people. We have great admiration. There are ministers that I really admire and that I love being with. I have some ministers, friends here in the city that are well-known around the world. 
You know, uh, one, of, one of the bishops in our fellowship just was hanging out with some politicians, with, with, with Dr. Carson, with uh, uh, Donald Trump and others. He's hearing their stuff. He brings it back to us. We had a, a, um, a, a board meeting this past Wednesday, and I was listening to some of the viewpoints of some of the politicians so I could know how to make my vote. See? So we have influence. This ministry has a lot of influence. And I have people right now that travel the world, and, and I have access to that at, at any given time. But the bottom line is, it's not that we're big and bad. We have different responsibilities. Some responsibilities are local. Some responsibilities are regional. Some responsibilities are international and national. But it's not that they're better. Is Billy Graham better than you? Huh? Is he better than you? He's not. He has a different function. T.D. Jakes, is he better than you? He has a different function. But he's not better. Oh, he's doing a lot more. Never, ever compare yourself to anybody. Please compare yourself to the picture God has given you for your life. You know if you're doing what God called you to do. Maybe T.D. Jakes might, might have, I don't know, 100,000 people saved in his church every year. And in this church, we'll have 50 people, 100 people, 150 people saved every year. Who's better? No, God looks at our church and the way he created us. And he sees you're being faithful, and the other one saved 100,000. He's being faithful. Why? Because that's, what, that's how God formed us and created us. So you never compare yourself with another ministry, with another individual. You're different. You're unique. Say to your neighbor, I'm unique. I'm unique. See, you can't compare yourself to anybody. Praise God. So share your life and ministry with humility. Romans 12, 16. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Because we don't. Humility means being teachable. You can learn from anyone. Proverbs 15.4 says this. Intelligent people want to learn. But stupid people are satisfied with ignorance. See, the Bible is very practical. See, So as long as you remain teachable, guess what? Wisdom will flow to you. Because wisdom won't be chased by anybody. It'll flow naturally to those that desire it like gold, like silver. See? Wisdom is very picky. That's where it attaches itself. So if you're humble, if you're teachable, if you're appreciative and grateful, you will receive great wisdom. It'll come to you. But it's like the Bible says, if you're stupid, keep your ignorance. Yeah, it is an ouch. That's an ouch ver- uh, verse. But, you know, hey, scripture is scripture. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Never let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Wow. That one verse shares it all? Don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. The other thing is we need to respect other people's ideas with courtesy. A small group will teach you better many times than large groups. And guess what? Somebody could teach you to be a better listener. My wife, she has a lot of wisdom. And if you know her, sometimes she'll share the wisdom punto y coma. You know what I mean? Like, this is it. This is the way it is. And before, I came from a home where dad was the boss. My, my dad was very macho. He was one of those machista Hispanic guys, 
right? So I learned that early on. When I got married, you know, I'm the man. That's it. But she came from a family where her mother was the matriarch, and she was in charge. So in the beginning, we headbutted a lot, right? And I would get angry. I didn't want to hear what she had to say. But after a while, after a lot of arguments, I realized, man, she made sense. I mean, I didn't want to admit it to her because I didn't want to, you know, to say I was wrong. Because I'm the man. You know, man don't never admit they're wrong. Uh-uh, no way. I don't care what you but you know, I had to learn after a while. She says, you know, my wife has wisdom. So today, we talk about things. And sometimes she says stuff that just blows me away. I said, whoa, that was incredible. So I've learned, um, and this is for you guys, by the way. We are not natural listeners many times. So what happens, we have to learn how to sometimes just listen. Because ladies, they need to express themselves. And ladies need for you to give them attention. So you can't be, your lady can't be talking, you, you be on the phone. Or you be on the football game and, and you're not even giving out, you know, they want your eyes. Okay, n- none, none of the guys are. Uh, so, no, I, I'm just, it's a point, I have to share it. So, so what happens is, when we learn to be good listeners, wisdom will flow our way. And, and in relationships, wisdom flows both ways, but we have to learn how to be good listeners. And in church, we also learn that, that ability to be able to listen, to be able to submit to one another. Some people come to church, and you, they, you, as soon as they see structure, they want to run away. No, I'm not going to submit to anybody. I'm not going to submit to nothing. But it's in the submission that you learn. That's where you mature. That's where you go strong. That, that, that's where you advance, because you first advance here before you advance out there. Amen, Pastor Vic. That's good preaching. Amen. All right. All right. Sometimes I, sometimes I have to affirm myself because, you know, you're not doing a good job sometimes. <laughs> and, and lastly, Proverbs 18.2. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. So when you see somebody that only wants to talk and talk and talk and never wants to hear anything, tell them, by the way, when you get home, open up the word of God to Proverbs 18.2. You, know, you don't want to insult them right then and there, but you know, the Bible will give them some wisdom. We're all important. We're all needed. Your ministry is vital. And when you fulfill your part in the body, and when you become part of the body, it brings life. It brings honor. It brings dignity. I don't care what you do. You do it with all your heart, it'll bring dignity and honor to that fellowship, to that family, to your family. And, and God will smile on you. God will give you grace and favor. He, the Bible says he, he blesses the humble. He promotes the humble. He exalts the humble. And what does he do with the proud? Brings them down. Brings them low. Let me, let me read this. Um, actually, in order to read it, I'm, I need some help. I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, change this for whatever reason. I couldn't make it bigger font. It's called Sarah's Vase. A pediatrician um, several years ago tells a story of a little girl in his wife's Sunday school class. His wife had prepared a lesson about being useful and told the children that everyone can be useful in serving God. There was a short moment of silence and a little girl named Sarah spoke up. Teacher, what can I do? She said, I don't know how to do many useful things. So Mrs. Sakaira had not anticipated that kind of response. 
But she quickly looked around and she spotted an empty vase on the windowsill. She said, Sarah, from now on, you can bring a flower and put it in the vase. That would be a very useful thing. It'll make the class prettier. It'll make the room prettier. And we just love flowers here. So Sarah frowned and she said, that's not important. The teacher said, yes, it is. You will be helping us. You'll be helping our class. You'll be helping to encourage people. Right? So sure enough, next Sunday, Sarah bought in a dandelion and placed it in the vase. In fact, she continued to do so week after week. Without reminders or help, she made sure the vase was always filled with a bright yellow flower. Sunday after Sunday, when her pastor found out about it, he put the vase in the main sanctuary next to the pulpit. So that Sunday, he gave a sermon on the honor of serving others using Sarah's vase as an example. The congregation was touched by the message, and the week started on a good note. But during the same week, Sarah's family discovered that she had leukemia. David Cerqueira was her pediatrician, and he's the one that's sharing the story. And he did his best to explain to Sarah's parents that nothing could be done to save her life. He says, I don't think I have ever seen a more difficult conversation than the one I had that night. Eventually, Sarah became confined to bed and her visits that many people gave her. She lost her smile. She lost most of her weight. And then the end was near. But that Sunday, at the end of his sermon, the pastor suddenly stopped speaking. His eyes wide. He stared in the back of the church, and everyone turned to see what they were looking at, what he was looking at. It was Sarah. Her parents had brought her for one last visit. She was bundled in a blanket and a dandelion in one little hand. She slowly walked to the front of the church, where her vase was still perched by the pulpit. She put her flower in the vase and a little piece of paper right beside it. Then she returned to her parents. Four days later, Sarah died. At the funeral, the pastor showed Dr. Cerqueira the note that Sarah had left. It said, Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life. Signed, Sarah. So what am I saying with that? What I am saying is all of our ministries are precious. They can touch people. And many times you don't even know how you're touching people. But you don't know people are looking in your life. I remember years ago somebody told me, you don't understand, I've been watching the way you stood while this church had a fire. Your congregation, how you guys were. We are suffering a fire now. A bishop told me this. Last year, she blessed my heart. He says, we are going through that now. And every time I want to give up, I remember how you stood, how your congregation stood, how you guys walked through that humbly and, and you cried together, but you didn't give up. Yeah. And now we're going through our stuff, but we can do it because we saw you go through it. God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Amen. So get your hearts ready. Because as we give God our best this year, we're going to continue with this process of transformation. Our goal is nothing less to be at the apex of our, um, our ability to do our best for God. To be ready when God says, okay, I need your ministry. I need your ministry. I want you to be effective. I want the gifts of the Spirit to flow in and through you. I want the fruit of the Spirit to excel in and through you. I want God to get great glory and honor through your ministry. And through us together as a 
local church here in the Bronx, here in the city of New York. Praise God. 